It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Craig Handley, co-founder of Listen Trust and author of the best-selling book, Hired to Quit. Craig's an expert in Hispanic marketing, direct response marketing, and sales and brand expansion, and his businesses employ over a thousand people and have cumulatively done over half a billion dollars in sales within the last five years to the Hispanic market. He started his professional career as a paper boy, winning a contest to go to Disney World for most new subscribers at the age of 13. He followed up with three years of door-to-door insurance sales, where he again won the company's highest award on eight different occasions. Craig served five years in the U.S. Army Infantry during the first Iraqi war, leaving with an honorable discharge and then studied voice and piano in college. He has written and produced hundreds of songs from rap to pop to ballads to parodies. A devoted family man, he dances his way into his wife's heart with his running man and his practice rendition of The Worm. He believes that with faith and a little courage, anything is possible. Craig Handley, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, man. Great to have you here. And and just a disclaimer up front, even though we do share the same last name, Craig and I did our research and we're not related, or at least not that we know of. Um, My Handley's call from Kentucky. I think I shared that with you. And Craig, where where do yours come from originally? Oh, originally, I think it's Ireland, Scotland, you know, back to the Back to the mother country. (laughs) <laughs> great well I let's talk was, about I think you it was it was yeah it was o handley before it was handley so. oh oh it's o handley yeah so it's so definitely some irish in there too i love it well let's talk about you and your generation to, you know tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was like early family life well dad was a state trooper my mother kind of stayed at home but you know she worked occasionally here and there and uh, of course my dad had arrested a lot of the kids in my junior high, their dads. So I used to, I used to deal with bullying a lot, and it wasn't just one kid; it was like eleven kids who oh would gosh. wait for me after school to beat on me. So I think that shaped a lot, you know. <laughs> you got a um, lot of tough. What, what part of the country was that in, Craig? That was in Wilton, Maine. This little, Wilton, this Maine. little town okay. near Farmington, Maine, and uh, yeah. growing up there was certainly interesting. I mean, uh, being bullied certainly puts a chip on your shoulder where you're always trying, you you know, it's important to be liked. You always feel like you got to prove yourself. So you have this big chip on your shoulder. You know, it created a lot of things I've worked through more as an adult where, you know, I realized that I I probably have done enough so that I don't have to keep proving myself. Um, 
But it you served know, as a motivator, people, would you yeah. say, in, in a way? It was it was a motivator, right? I think everything yeah. that happens happens for a reason. But yeah, it was a right. pretty big motivator. I even you know, I still even kept tabs on some of the kids who used to who used to be out there waiting for me to get out of school and watch <laughs> them all kind of you know, watch them all either go to jail or end up as dead end. You know, yeah. one guy one guy is a bouncer at a strip club and you know, so I um, even kept tabs on on how badly I was kicking their ass later on in life. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> some, some small rewards, right? Bre- uh, brothers and sisters, Craig, or, or were you an only child? I have uh, two brothers and a sister. Okay. And cool. so I wasn't and, an only child, but there. Yeah. Where, where were you in the pecking order? At the top, in the middle, down at the end? I was, I was the oldest. You were the oldest. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So yeah. were you able to protect any of your siblings? Did they get the same bullying growing up as well? Or did they kind of all take it out on you as you were the first of the bunch? I think it all kind of take it out on me. My my yeah. younger brother was, you know, when he was younger, he was a great athlete, you know, all the way. Like if there's like the, the superstar athlete in fifth and sixth grade or seventh and eighth grade, you know, he was the superstar was athlete. Kid. You know, he was the yeah. quarterback. He was an amazing baseball pitcher. He could throw just about anything. He, you know, and uh, we ended up moving before my freshman year. And my my brother, who was the big athlete, he didn't really grow. He was, you know, he hmm. was like five foot eight or whatever. So, yeah. you know, in football, they wanted to make him a cornerback. And they, you know, so he ended up, you know, far as sports go, I don't even think he played anything. He played baseball all the way through and yeah. uh, ended up, Ended up getting, you know, was an all all state baseball player, and you know, ended up being a really good athlete in baseball. But, you know, it kind of hurt him to move because he was the kid that was yeah, the golden yeah. child moving the into high school. Child. They were like, yeah. yeah, they're like, oh, we're gonna have, you know, Chris Handley is gonna be our quarterback for the high school team, and then we moved, <laughs> and uh, he ended up falling behind. You know, every little town has names of family members that have been in the school district forever right you right. know they've sure and uh in wilton you know we were one of those names still up on looking, the board probably for a well, few different for uh, him yeah, yeah for him but <laughs> but then um, when we went to waterville you know this other high school it was a whole list of different names and so it didn't yeah. work out so well for him but it worked out good for me because when i was a freshman i decided i wasn't going to be bullied anymore the first kid that so looked at restart. me sideways i i tackled him and beat him up to try to get a reputation <laughs> So, <laughs> he probably didn't deserve it, but you know he was going to get it because I didn't want to be pushed around. And then I got in the weight room and started lifting weights, and you know I ended up doing. Geez, I was in chorus, and I was doing theater, and I was playing basketball cool. and football, and yeah. I was really trying to prove myself. You know, I mean, I I right. did so many extracurricular activities that uh, it's crazy. And you were an entrepreneur as well. Uh, we were talking a little bit about before uh, we started the podcast that I worked for Disney for a number of years, and we mentioned that you were actually a paperboy and won a contest. Tell us about that. <laughs> I actually won two contests, getting the most new subscribers going door-to-door, yeah. selling subscriptions, and I think I more than doubled the output of the second-place finisher. And, and, yeah, I did Fantastic. get to go to Disney uh, with the, the paper company, flew me down to Disney. That's great. Um, and got to, you know, we were there for, I think, three days. So, you know, it was a long right. time ago. Right, the other one right. was uh, to the other one was like uh, going to a Red Sox game, and we were supposed to meet Wade Boggs, but he bailed, and I met Rich Getman and Bob Stanley instead. Which, I mean, I don't know. 
<laughs> you know, that made Wade Boggs would have been Wade Boggs <laughs> would have been much better. I mean, you know, he's a Hall of Famer, <laughs> and you know, and and Bob Stanley had his palm ball pitch that he was famous for, but uh, you know, but other than that, um, yeah, they well, were. Uh, it was interesting. So, but yeah, I did the papers, and I did the papers all the way through high school too. Like, wow, I was an yeah. entrepreneur early on. You know, I worked for an ice cream place where I was doing all the lawns and. He owned a bunch of properties, so I was making the trees look like animals, and you know I was painting and I was making ice cream, and I built the mini golf course, and they had a, a, a pitching thing, and I fixed that. But then I would do uh, like DJing on the weekends. I'd do like a karaoke mm. night or whatever, and cool. and so even in high school, I was doing multiple things to make money. Um, What'd you spend all that money on? Sounds like you had quite a quite a income source, multiple income sources, like <laughs> we all like to have. I don't know. I mean, you know, as a kid, we go out to, you know, we go out to this dance club, this Studio Two dance club, and I always liked to go to Big G's and have a sandwich, you know. So it was good. I was just always the kid who had a little bit of money, you know. It wasn't yeah, a lot, cool. but I always had enough to pay for gas and, you know, buy a sandwich or whatever. If get folks one of my around. friends didn't have any yeah. money, yeah. yeah. How'd you do in school? Were you, were you a good? Were you a good student? Did you enjoy your studies or certain aspects? Of I was. Perhaps? I was one of those kids who didn't do my homework, but I got A's on all the tests. Mm-hmm. So I was a pretty steady. Yeah. I was a pretty steady C student. Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. Yeah. I didn't I didn't need to do the uh, to, I didn't need to do the homework to know all the material. Right. And so a lot right. of times I'd turn in blank sheets of paper and be like, ah, whatever, an F on that, but I'll get an A on the test. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I think you... you know, schools don't teach people the way that they learn in a lot of cases. I right. think that's pretty common knowledge that. You know, you can't teach a fish to fly, you know. So a lot of times the way people learn in school is different. So, yeah, but it is. Well, you went on to college. You went on to college and studied music, which I found kind of interesting. Was that a real passion of yours? And or did you want want to learn more about it? What what kind of led you to that field of study? Of course, I wanted to be a rock star. I, you know, love music and uh, got accepted to Berkeley in Boston and Juilliard in New York City. And wow, um, I still have the acceptance letter, you know, Um, pretty cool. But I couldn't afford to go. Berkeley, I think at Mm. the time was twenty nine thousand. And, you know, I came from a family that was okay, but, you know, but we didn't have a lot of extra money and we certainly couldn't afford twenty nine thousand a year at Berkeley. And right. Juilliard was even more. I think it was 49. So yeah. I joined the Army to try to raise money for college. And um, it ended up being around $750 a month, which helped pay my rent at the time. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, but it so you went, it, went to the Army right out of high school? I went to a travel and tourism school first okay. for six months called the Boyd School yeah. of Travel in Pittsburgh. And then I ended up working in New York for this company called Ground Handling Inc. for an airline. Uh I ended up getting fired. I was too good at my job. (laughs) True story. I really believe that to this day, that I was too good at my job. Um, Because I was the first person, we handled four different airlines. We handled, gosh, it was Northwest out of Detroit, which doesn't exist anymore. U.S. Airways. It was Business Express, which was a division of Delta. Yeah. And uh, I think American was the other one, but, um, oh, United was the other one. And so Westchester County Airport had this company called Ground Handling Inc. that really did everything for all four airlines. So I learned huh. all of their systems and I ended up doing check-in. I did security. 
I was out there parking the planes. I did mostly though baggage claim, you know, baggage handling and stuff. When right. a bag would get lost, I'd be the guy that would hunt it down. And I was really good at what I was doing. And so United offered to send me to their specialized training in Washington, D.C. Um, oh, no, that was U.S. Air in Washington, D.C. United wanted to send me to Chicago. So that was the first one I was going to go to. And I showed up to work to get on the airplane to go. And they fired me that day. They said I sent out what? a bag with a woman's with a woman's heart medication. I sent it out on a special delivery without calling the hotel first to see if they would come pick it up. And although that was true, I had also already done a lot of this work and knew that the hotel wasn't going to send a shuttle to come pick up this woman's heart medication. Sure. And uh, you know, I just I I was all about you did the right thing service. for the woman, was, right? Oh, yeah. I think I did, and they uh, they said, oh, you didn't call for permission, so we're going to fire you. But mm -hmm. it, I was literally the first person in Ground Handling, Inc. that had been invited to Chicago Special Training and was invited to the Washington, D.C. training. They had employees that had been there for, you know, 12 years who had never been invited to anything. Mm -hmm. And so in order for them to allow me to go to Chicago, they had to let Leon go, too. And so huh. Leon was already in Chicago having a hot dog or whatever, waiting for me to show up. And I went to go on the plane, and they said, sorry, you're not going. Wow. At the time, it was such a shock. Both, both All the companies wanted to hire me directly. They're like, why don't you just work for us out of JFK or LaGuardia? We'll still send you the training. We think you're a great employee. But I was just so shell-shocked. Disillusioned. That I just, yeah, yeah I just I kind of was like, what? I was living with five women in New York, in uh, Port Chester, New York, and I was driving a moped around because I didn't have a car, so I would drive my moped. They had a helmet law back then, so I would be driving my moped with my little white helmet. I must have looked like the biggest dork on the planet. And uh, and really, all my roommates were 21. I was only 20. And so I couldn't drink or go out to bars, and they were going out every night. It was like it was horrible. You know, these women would bring home strange men all the time, and I was like, this isn't what I expected. It was interesting. Oh, goodness. And then, and then yeah. off to the army, and and I understand you, you yeah. Spent so that's, some time that's in when Iraq. I was so yeah, so shell shocked, and I was like, ah, eh, let me just go back to music, which is what I want to do, and I'll try the army. And that was, I thought the army was, I really loved basic training. Yeah, I was in during the Iraq War, but I didn't end up going over there. It was like oh, you didn't days. go there. Yeah, you're down at no, Fort Benning, and, is that right? Is that where you? were? Yeah, Fort Benning, Sand Hill, yeah. down yeah. there, and did my training, and um, I thought it was great. I thought it was really a great experience. Love. The discipline they teach you, love, you know, I loved everything about it. You know, I wish I yeah. could do it again. It's, you don't typically have that freedom to spend four months just really just exercising, eating right, and learning how to be a man. I mean, you yeah. know, I mean, right. how often, I mean, I think everybody should do it. It was such a great experience, but. Um, what were some of the biggest yeah, takeaways? Was, if, you, if you looked at the five years you were there and the lessons, particularly in leadership and so forth that you took away from the Army, how have they served you? Well, so I was in for five years, but I did the reserve. So I was full time for really like four months in the beginning. And then it was okay. a couple of weeks every year that was full time. But really the leadership lessons that, that you learn, you know, throughout is things that you kind of pick up on later in life too. So patients, mm. for example, they have different classes. Like they have a walk, run, jog, uh, sorry, walk, jog, run type of scenario. So everybody's got different levels of fitness, different levels of execution, and right. part of being a good team leader is understanding the team that you have, their strengths and their weaknesses, and understanding how to how to build a team around 
really mutual talent levels. So sure. I was the guy that carried my ruck, somebody else's ruck, the M60, and I could still run a 14-minute, two-mile, you know, with, with carrying all that crap. So I was like a tank <laughs> going through. Um, you know, it was good. I wish I could get back to that level of fitness again. You know, it's just, um, yeah. just such a you know, great experience. But then there's, I don't know, for me, I was always a life hacker. I even used to hire someone to do my... Uh, every like three days alphabetically everybody has to do night duty where you have to basically wake up in the middle of the night and spend an hour just walking around the barracks making sure nobody's you know just protecting the other guys around you and i used to pay somebody five dollars to do that for me (laughs) so i wouldn't have to wake up when it was my turn same thing with like kp duty that was twenty dollars to get someone to go in and peel the potatoes and serve the food and you know so I was always I was always entrepreneurial. I was always looking for hacks, but um, a lot of lessons, you know, coming out of that to respect, yeah. you know, to, to they, you know, of course you got to make your bed and you got to pay attention to detail and um, there's an org chart, you know, where there's different levels of authority and you've got to go through that. So there were all these different components that could be applied to business, and it's one of the reasons why I always look at you know people coming out of the military as as a potential partner or hire or, you know, they're, they're always, you know, I think integrity, you know, they do what they say. I love that in recruiting, you know, having having that strong foundation. Yeah. Sure. I mean, they talk about it, you know, if you're four people going into a room, each one of you has to have a corner because if one of you misses it, all four of you are going to (laughs) die. Right. And so, and so everybody understands what their assignment is, and what they're supposed to do, and they know that if they don't do it, it could get you killed. And I think that's the same way in business. Maybe you're not going to be killed, killed, right. but your business could fall apart if someone doesn't right. execute the way they want to or communicate the way they need to. So you sure. learn a lot about communication and execution. So anyway, mm-hmm. a lot of lessons. Well, you went on to phone sales with Talk America, which is kind of the, the start of your listening careers. We'll talk about it in a minute. But tell us a little bit about that time. You spent about a year or two there, from what I understand. Yeah, I did a couple of years selling insurance door to door, and they only paid you a residual for five years. So at two and a half years, I looked at my check, and I have worked really hard, and I have won eight of the top awards that they have, and I I was in the top ten in the country, and I was probably making ninety thousand dollars. And in order for me to continue to make ninety thousand, in my mind, I don't know if it's true or not, but in my mind, in order to keep making that same amount of money. I would have to work 80 hours a week, just like I have been mm. for the previous two and a half years. And I was like, man, and they cut your residual off at five years. And so mm. I'm like, well, geez, with the cutoff, I should go work for a company that pays you forever. So I yeah. tried to work with Aflac and I op- helped open the state of New Hampshire. But six months into negotiating with the different unions, it actually ended up taking about a year and a half to open. And I had to bail about six months in and started working for a phone center. My intention was always to go back and work with Aflac in opening the state of New Hampshire, but I ended up learning about phone sales and being able to talk to three to 500 people a day who had an interest in your product. There was no cold calling. It was all inbound calls. And I was one of three people out of like a thousand people doing over a million dollars in revenue, making about 120,000 a year just on the phone. So I was like, well, the hell with this insurance thing <laughs> this is a lot better and then, right yeah and then as, as time grew i was writing my own scripts and then the call center asked me to train other people on how to read my script because mm. it was always adding additional roi 
somebody had quit and started their own call center. They knew that I was a commodity, so they offered to pay me more to mm. come work with them. And then somebody else started to want to pay me more. And then I'll, I'll, before I knew it, I was consulting at call centers all over the country mm. and uh, really helping them build their call centers out. And at some point, I said, you know, I should really own my own center. I should really, you know, do something on my own. And so right. I wanted to do, I, I ended up partnering with someone who was starting a U.S. center and we had like 15% ownership in it. Mm. And our job was to provide, you know, some, some, some really we were trying to provide business which we did and so that was going pretty good and then we were like well let's let's do our own thing and own 100 percent of it we decided to open in the u.s hispanic market so we opened a place in mexico just servicing people who speak spanish in the u.s wow. and there was a big hole in that market and it just took off i mean within within six months the first six months were back and forth but then we ended up picking up a client with a hair straightener and they were doing better in Spanish. Than they were in English and they ended up sending, I don't know, went from zero to 40,000 calls a week or something along those lines, crazy numbers. And we ended up growing from zero to, you know, over a thousand employees at that time. Hmm. Wow. So, um, we made Inc 500's fastest growing private companies and that call center has been mostly stable. We've had a couple of years where, we had to kind of pivot as the Hispanic populations aged in the U.S. They do more English than Spanish, so right. we now are we now are probably sixty percent English and forty percent Spanish, right. which is interesting, you know, as we've grown yeah. through the evolution. So there have been multiple pivots. We used to do only sales. Now I think customer service is even a bigger percentage of our business than sales are, along with lead generation is a big category for mm -hmm. us. And so I think over time we've gotten more stability uh, in our business because we now have multiple revenue streams and uh, yeah. and it's been a big evolution throughout the years. So yeah, well, tell us a little bit about it. So how many employees today, and kind of what's your span of operations? Yeah, today there's about a thousand employees. We do about 150 wow. million in sales for our clients on an annual basis. Um, we probably bill out about 13, 14 million dollars. And uh, have a you know two to three million in profit every year, pretty consistent. Yeah. We do a, a ton of lead generation for big clients like Bosley or, or Hair Club. Uh, lead lawyers, you know, taking lead gens for class action suits, or there's a bunch of lead gen campaigns. And then we do a bunch of customer service. Um, we've got, you know we're really good at making sure we can communicate with people on a higher level. And you know, it's funny we we take calls from big companies that. One, one big client that we have, um, we, we were trying to get them to test us for years and years, probably seven years, and they finally decided to test us. They put us up against their control center. Hmm. The control center has been taking their calls for 10 years. Nobody beats the control center. We hmm. beat them in two weeks. Wow. You know, so, so we're really what you, what's, good. What's the differential? What, I mean, what do, you, what, what do you think really differentiates you guys? Culture. Without, without sharing your secret sauce. <laughs> no, the, it doesn't matter. The secret sauce is out there for everybody. It's it's culture. It's building yeah. a culture that people really believe in what they're doing. Hmm. They care about what they're doing. And on top of that, you know, it's, it's training. We built a sales manual where we teach people how to communicate. I mean, I went through this two-week sales training with W. Clement Stone, uh, The Success System That Never Fails sure. is the book that yeah. you had to read. And they yeah, teach yeah. you 
how to say things, how to hesitate, modulate, emphasize. Done a lot of work with Zig Ziglar stuff and Tom Hopkins and Og Mandino and just all these different, you know, um, all these different sales manuals and sales books and sales strategies. Done a lot of reading uh, up on Robert Cialdini with his book Influence and, uh, you know, just, just really put all of this information into a, a training guide and by by putting in like everything's ten thousand hours right if you That's if right. you look at how long it takes to be an expert well i've <laughs> i've trained i've trained over ten thousand hours and every time i adjust my training to communicate more efficiently and that's what turned that that ended up turning into a program called dream trust hmm. where i literally would spend three days and it's it's my the name of my best-selling book hired to quit i would train my employees to quit over the first two days We'd right. talk about what's important to them and their dreams. And I'd explain to them that the better they did on the phones, we route calls by performance and we pay by performance. So if you study and learn the training, you can quit sooner. Hmm. So what it did was a lot of people decide not to quit when they're making double what you could probably <laughs> make in the area that they're in. A lot of them decide to stay. And, Smart uh, strategy. If you're, yeah. yeah, if you're good at your job with us, you can make a lot of money. And so... And then there's a lot of people that make a lot of money, but they save it and they end up quitting and building their own business. And And that philosophy of helping people leave allows more people to stay. Wow. Crazy how amazing. that works. So, yeah. What a yeah. paradigm. I love it. I love it. <clears throat> yeah. Well, so tell me about when did you first start managing people, Craig? Was it when you uh, were in the uh, insurance side? Was it when you started with revenue enhancement? You know, when, when, when is it that you kind of had that direct day to day? Oh, I don't know. I mean, look, even when I was in high school, as I started to kind of fall into my passions, I directed the senior talent show, you know, okay. so I had a bunch of a bunch of acts like, you know, and people do crazy little skits and makeup skits. It's like a little Saturday Night Live thing that every I senior class did. Sure. And so I ended up being the, the director of that and ended up having right. like running the whole event. So I always had this ability, I think, to lead. As far as, like, I always led through performance. I mean, a little bit, I, I don't want to compare myself to Tom Brady, but when you're, when your actions do the talking, it makes you much more credible as a leader. Yeah. And yeah. I was always the best sales guy. I would take people out with me and show them how to hit their awards. I was always the best on the phones. I would partner up with other people, let them listen to me. I'd listen to them and provide coaching and feedback on what they were doing. I've always, always been a giver, yeah. and I've taken more joy out of giving because I think people like me, and that comes back to the bullying, you know? And so, um, like, and today I spend all my time, I just try to find ways to give to others in the universe, mm. whether we live in a matrix or, you know, whatever we're living in, aliens, God, the energy <laughs> of the universe typically always gives back 10 times when I'm not focused on money and me. When I'm focused yeah. on others, I end up getting yeah. back a lot more than I ever could give. Real servant leadership. I love it. How, how would you oh, say yeah. your leadership's how, how would you say your leadership's evolved over the years? Has there been some, you know, specific times where you've said, gosh, I really need to kind of change this and you've changed it up, or you know, you've maybe read a book from someone that really had an impact on you and you know, you modified some of the things you were doing? I remember when I started out you know, I thought everything was proprietary and confidential, mm. you know, and, and I didn't want to share my secrets. And I was wearing a Rolex and a $300 pair of sneakers. And I thought Tommy Bahama <laughs> was cool shirts. 
<laughs> and I would walk around like I was somebody important. And when people ask me things, I'd be like, oh, well, we need to sign an NDA. And, I, I, you know, I just learned that all of that is bullshit and that really yeah. life is about serving others and giving. Mm. And as I've solidified that thought process more and more, I've seen more and more success. And so I wow, teach. That's awesome. Look, I tell young I tell young people today, look, out of 10 people in your circle, one of them is going to be a, maybe a billionaire. And you don't know who it is. So treat everybody yeah. as if they are that billionaire <laughs> while right. you have them in your Rolodex. And then 10 yeah. years from now, yeah. 20 years from now, like I have at least six billionaires in my phone with their mm. phone numbers. And they reply to me within a day, you know, yeah. how yeah. many millionaires do I have? I don't know, 40 or 50, maybe yeah. more. Why do I have all these people who reply to me and talk to me and, 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 and don't judge me. You know, I mean, how did I do that? Right. I treated everybody like they were amazing the day I met them. Wow. And I didn't count them out. When they said they were going to do something, I chose to believe them and support mm. them in their dreams. I said, yes, you're going to be amazing. You're going to be great. How can I help? And I tried to help people early on. So my phone right now is a truly valuable component because if I need to get a hold of somebody who's typically unreachable, I usually have a way to do it and you i gather continue to do that like <laughs> yeah today today i'm writing a lot of music and what's ironic is i'm so good at marketing that a lot of musicians open brands and they're searching me out as much as i'm searching them out hmm. so for example i wrote a record for the miss america pageant that they're planning on performing live on december 16th on nbc and i'm looking for a singer well interestingly enough I also control the sponsorship space. So right. Carrie Underwood has a yoga brand. I'm trying to reach Carrie Underwood to do a barter. You sing my record, I'll help promote your yoga brand. Rihanna has a makeup brand. Ariana Grande has a makeup brand. Who wants to be the official sponsor, makeup sponsor of the Miss America pageant? Right. It's a couple of million dollars in value. All I want you to do is to help sing this record, which is the Miss America pageant this year. They've gotten rid of the bathing suit contest. A 20-year-old girl will never have to prance around half naked in front of a bunch of strangers again to get a scholarship. Right. Their their message this year is positive body image. Mm. And and not all the Miss America contestants this year are thin little pretzels. Yeah. You know, but they're all beautiful, beautiful women who are amazing humans and talented humans. And they, they're doing more than just being pretty. They're smart educated, committed to causes. I mean, this year, Miss America is making a change that's going to change the world. That's and awesome. so I'm so yeah. proud to be supporting them. And the record I wrote, um, it's called Love Me Better. And it's all about loving yourself mm. and being okay with who you are and being perfect and, uh, and making young women believe that they're perfect just the way they are. Yeah. But if they want to grow, there's nothing wrong with wanting to grow as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, you, you know, you, you can be a masterpiece even if you're a work in progress, you know? Right, right. Great work. Love. So, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, so I'm really enjoying, you know, the, the, the business bartering and, the you know, everything I've learned, you know, and kind of plugging yeah. in and creating these relationships. I have awesome. more to give. I have a bigger opportunity to give to Rihanna than she has for me, for example. Yeah, you know? right. And, and I try to give before I ever ask for anything and that approach serves me very well in the fact that i've met so many amazing uh people 
Yeah, great principle. Well, you talked a little yeah. early about company culture, and you know, as a CEO, as a founder, it really does fall on you to propagate that. H how do you do that, particularly with a thousand people in diverse places? You know, how do you communicate that? You know, I know your actions are important, but you know, it's hard to touch that many people. And I'm just curious as to how do you continue to reinforce that great company culture at Listen Trust? We um, great company culture. We started out by asking all of our key employees, really it was about 30 people at the top of the food chains. Um, so we went a couple levels down with what do you think Listen Trust is all about? And we came mm. up with, I think, eight, 18 different things as to who we wanted to identify as, as far as core mm. values. Yeah. We then spent two weeks and we said, okay, if you could be a company, you know, that always sees ahead of the curve, but also you're a company that never um, has po is positive and fun. What's more important, right? Or you're a company yeah. that's always positive and fun, but you never know what's out of the curve. So you're always playing catch up. You're never. And so we went through and we just said, if you're this or that, what's more important? Yeah. And we found out what our number one value was. And then we went through it again to find number two. Yeah. And some of the things morphed into others, you know, like so 18 became 12 because six right. of them were similar enough to just kind yeah. of push together. Combine them. Yeah, and right. yeah, and and so and then twelve needed to become five, so some of the things we just thought weren't important, and we just kind of went through, and as a company we made our list. We started with seven, and then a few another year went by, and we decided to redo them again, and we went down to five, right? And then, um, and and throughout all this time, we hired a culture manager, and not only did we build the culture, but we basically put markers in that showed we are living our culture when. Ah, and then we cool. put a list of things that, you know, that would show that we're living our values that we created. Right. Right. And so we had a we had a person that we hired as our culture manager and it was her job to pay attention. We created six pillars of happiness. Mm. And so, for example, one of the pillars was um, health and wellness. That yep. became our our the month of January. We focused on health and wellness. We had dentists come in for free cleanings. Mm. We had you know sexual uh, experts come in to talk about you know sex health and you know we had rehab people come in. We had uh, you know all these different people come in focused on health. We did a diet program with people to help them lose weight. Great. We got everybody fitness memberships at a discount. We did so many things for health and fitness, and that became January and June. February and July was relationships. Mm. So now it was people coaching men on how to be a man in your relationship, people coaching mm. women. And then there were people that would work with people as a couple. And then there were people that would talk to parents about parenting. And it was all relationships, everything mm. you want to know about relationships. Uh, and then, you know, time off. We had people building their big life list. They want to go to Disney. They want to go to Machu Picchu. They want to, what are your big life lists? If you want to take time mm. off, what do you want to do with your family? And you know, so we had that as another pillar. Uh, money. You know, how do you manage your money so you can achieve your life list? How do you, yeah. you know, how do you save? How do you quit and go do your own thing? I mean, we, we had all these different pillars set up to help people improve their lives and create yeah. happiness. We've done studies and we've, we've been able to prove that happiness is profitable. It actually raises the close rate by three to five points. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It improves attendance. Look, happiness is profitable. Yeah. So why not have happy employees when you have a choice, right? We've done a survey Absolutely. and we had a 45 question survey and 
and we were able to prove that when people were happier, we made more money. And yep, so did they. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was good for everybody. So being happy is a byproduct of running a successful culture in your business, right. which right. creates more profits for everybody to share. Yeah. So having win, the company win, win. Christmas party, even though it may cost $15,000 to put together an amazing Christmas party, you make more than $15,000 by having an amazing Christmas party. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Anyway. What do you, what, you know, you obviously hire people and you've built up an organization. Craig, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire into the organization? Culture fits. We, you know, we ask questions primarily about culture. Once they pass our culture qualifications, then we actually look at their skill levels. Mm -hmm. And so for us, it's a series of questions that we ask them around. Yeah, and they're stupid questions. Like if a penguin walked into the office right now, wearing a sombrero and carrying a margarita, you know, what, <laughs> what, do, you, what do you think he'd say to you if he, if he could talk? Right? Oh, Just stupid, it. right? And part of yeah. it is, can you think on your feet? You know, how creative are you? Yeah, it's, just, it's a stupid question, but it's one of those that I love, you know? Yeah. We have a question, you know, what could your hobbies tell us about you that your work history can't? Mm. And you learn a lot about somebody one. based on their hobbies and their passions. Yeah. So you know, we've got a list of questions we've developed over the years that allows us to see how people fit culturally. And if they fit culturally, then we want to work with them on, you know, uh, their skill levels and bringing them in to the company and of course they're blown away by us taking two days and training them how to quit before we train them on the job (laughs) everyone goes through that right craig everyone goes through that oh yeah how to quit yeah that's fantastic why why would we do that because i want everybody to understand that their dreams are more important than my dream right yeah it's it's your life man it's your life live your life and be proud of who you who you are and what you want to do i love it well, Craig, you've been very generous with your time, but we always have one last question we ask. And, you know, that's got what kind of life and career advice would you give to someone that's maybe, you know, got their eyes on the corner office or, or like yourself, has always had entrepreneurial tendencies and would love to build a company someday like you've built? What, what would you tell them? Well, I, I just think they need to figure out what their passions are. I'm a musician mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. somebody asked me, you're a musician. What's that mean? What do you want to do? Do you want to be on stages and sing? And I had a record contract handed to me, but it, it required me to be on the road really 300 days a year to yeah. tour. And I would have been away from my family, away from my job, so my business may not have survived. Is that what I wanted? Or did I want to write songs for other artists? Or, you know, I mean, so, so it, was, it was really dialing in on specifically what you wanted to do. Yeah. And yeah. then once you are specific about it and your intentions are set, write it down. Yeah. And then don't go away from it. Keep working towards those goals. And I think if you're, a lot of people try to make decisions based on money and finance. Well, mm. people who make the most money are the ones who align with their passion, their core values, their own values, That's and right. live in the place that they're supposed to live, their heart space. Those are the people that might not make a lot of money as they start out, but they're happy. And then right. typically when people see them in their in their special place, like a gymnast or like if you watch the Olympics, those people, those those athletes, maybe not people, maybe, maybe those athletes, when you watch what they do, it's beautiful. When you watch a dancer dance, it's beautiful. A concert pianist play, it's beautiful. Why? Because they're living in the passion and in the place that they're supposed to live. So if you get in that place, like when I talk about marketing, people see my energy. 
right. and they see my energy completely shift. And so I think if someone wants to do their own thing, they should figure out there, there's a hack to everything and you can figure out how to make your, how to create a side hustle based on what your passion is right. and then figure out the path to turning your side hustle into your passion. But I think the biggest mm. thing for anybody is figuring out, you know, what you're good at. I am, I'm good at operations, but I don't like it. So I'm not great at it and I'll never be great at it, even though I know everything I'm supposed to do. Why? <laughs> because it's not my passion. So I I'm hire passion. operations people, people who love to do shit and create processes and create these platforms. And I, I hire people to do those things. I know what needs to be right. done. I can supervise it, but I don't want to do it. And, uh, and so I would say to anybody trying to start out, learn what you're good at, either hire or partner with the things you don't love right and try to try to find your space your place that where your passions can meet your business acumen mm. and, and turn it into something special wise counsel craig handley founder and ceo at listen trust and author of the best-selling book hired to quit thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office any anytime Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.